Amen. Came this morning, everybody was with sweatshirts and parkas, and now it'll be 80 degrees today, so we'll get you out of here. Uh, for all of you visitors that have never been here before, uh, it, the first service I looked out here over the congregation, and uh, it was a little alarming because people kept doing this all over, and I thought, what, do we have a disease here? But it's just the stink bugs. They're just going to be hitting you all during the service, and the wasps, and, uh, and so if you can go ahead and feel free to just jump around. But it looks kind of funny from up here watching these things until they come after me, I can tell you. You know, when we, when we come and we listen to sermons or we turn on the radio and we, we listen to some great speakers or we read, today it's, uh, information is just so... Uh, so available. It's uh, real easy to get information. And there's a tendency that uh, we do, as it says in the epistles, that sometimes we, we, we learn and learn and learn and never come to a place of understanding. And, and partly I think that is because there's a tendency for us to listen, evaluate a sermon based on how this should affect somebody I know. And uh, I know that when I used to read, my first intention was how uh, I sure hope my wife gets this message. And <clears throat> then it was my children, and uh, now it is my grandchildren. Uh, we had one of my grandchildren get three spankings in the two hours at my house yesterday. Uh, I'm glad that Dad stepped in because Grandpa really doesn't like that role very well. But I think so often we, we, we don't realize that when, when God's speaking, it is a message to us. It's a message to me. When, when I'm sharing, uh, they're gonna, we're going to talk about a topic today that I, I think you should saturate your mind with on a daily basis. I think it's probably one of the most prevalent truths that has been revealed in Scripture because it is going to directly be related to your picture and your image of God. And your picture and your image of God will directly be tied to how you live life. On 40 years of talking with people, uh, no matter what the problem is, uh, I don't know that I have ever, uh, and I know we've, I've talked to some people that have counseled a lot, and even longer than I have, and I'm not sure there's any other topic that, that if, you, if you come down to a person's picture and image of God being accurate, whatever they came in usually gets resolved. So today we have a chance to look at a picture of God that might help you and me see God's face in a little different light than maybe what we have seen. When we don't see God accurately and we see him as this very stern uh, person and in different ways that we shy away from, there's a tendency to, to uh, withdraw and to kind of pull back from him. And, and you'll see as we look through this topic that, that uh, it, it really, really is something that we need to be drawn into God. I, I was just sitting here, Josh, when you even said the words of your uh, just celebrating your son is he made very, very few words when he says that he loved because he was first loved. And it hit me, I was sitting here and I said, that in itself is enough for me to leave here today. It's enough to grab on and chew on and, and just digest all day. I love because he first loved me. And if, you, if you'll make some of the things here uh, about what God's telling you today, I believe at least you have an opportunity to see the face of God a little differently. 
Now, uh, I am going to talk about a subject that's very, very common in the, in the Christian faith. It, uh, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding with this topic in the Christian faith, so I'm just going to ask you to bear with me uh, for a half hour. Some of the things I might say will maybe clash against things you've been taught. Don't just tune me out for the next 20 minutes then. I just ask you to do something. Follow the thoughts all the way through, and then when I'm done, examine the scriptures, examine the things of the word, and if I'm wrong, tune me out. But if I go back and you examine the words and say, wow, that there's, there may be truth in this, and I, and I think that the truth will basically fulfill the song, the last song Tom picked, is uh, I'll be free. There's a freedom in this. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, who I just think was a, an anointed writer, uh, he, for those of you who don't know, he did the Chronicles of Narnia, but he did some fascinating other books that are just mind-boggling. And in the Screwtape Letters, and it's kind of, Screwtape Letters are just kind of a discussion going on between people of the earth, the Christians and angels and the demons and Satan and his, his uh uh, hierarchy and, and, and people that are for him. And he said one of the most successful tactics that demons use in neutralizing their enemies, who are the Christians, was to get them to dwell on their failure and their sins. Because once they began feeling guilty about their performance in the Christian life, they were no longer any threat to Satan and his strategy. Let me rephrase that. Getting us to focus on our failures and focus on our sins will distract us from being used by God. And yet, in the religious faith, it's sometimes combined with the Christian faith, uh, we, we are so focused on sin, on what you do or what you don't do and what you shouldn't do and what you did do, and we begin to focus on that, and, and confession becomes such a huge, huge part of your life, flipped around backwards. It, it just focuses on your own self, and when we focus on ourselves, we basically alienate from God, and we draw away from the ability to do what Josh said, is we, to feel and experience God's love so that we love. And I'm going to try to at least have challenge you to think about some of these things that we're going to look at. Before we start, though, uh, if Pat finished last week and he was talking about the law, the performance trap, and, and I, I want to make sure you hear something very, very clearly because this has been really misunderstood, and I know it's been misunderstood from this pulpit in this church, that the law is bad. The law is not bad. The law is holy. The law is not contrary to the things of God. It's a very, very good thing. The law is reflecting to you the holiness of God. It's going to reflecting to you when all the things you read about and you think, oh my gosh, it's overwhelming. That is the life and the character of God being lived out. Those laws are basically showing you and I what God looks like. When it becomes dangerous and it becomes an enemy of ours is when we try to be justified by the law, living under the law, being justified by law literally means this, that you read these do's and these don'ts and you feel that if you can go ahead and keep these or not break these, that you'll be justified, meaning you'll, you'll stand right with God. And so on your own performance of keeping these things, you stand justified. 
That's what God warns us against. No man is justified by the law, and you nullify the grace of God, meaning you're basically spitting into the grace of God and what happened at the cross. We're going to talk more about this in two weeks when I talk about grace, but I want you to understand we're not anti-law people. We're all for the law, but we're for the Holy Spirit and the living God to live through you and to let him keep it and keep it in a way that now he gets to define what it looks like rather than the way we define it. The law was designed, and, and it did a good job. The law was simply to show us, to reveal, to bring to light sin, where we were wrong. And there, it says there really wasn't any until the law came. And so it kind of reveals to you when there's sin. Today, there's a lot of people I know that are lit, gone here today because they're out on the first pheasant hunt. I think today's the first pheasant hunt, is that right? Well, the wives are going, okay, so. And a deer hunting will come along. Uh, but they're out there and they're pheasant hunting and a person out there pheasant hunting might go out and see a whole bunch of roosters. They've been driving all day and they may see a whole bunch of roosters out here and they get their guns and they go and they lift up the fence and they go out and they go out and shoot the roosters and they come back. Now, that is okay until somebody puts up a sign that says, no trespassing, violators will be prosecuted. Now, once that sign goes up, that person that was out there shooting was not trespassing and was not breaking the law until the sign came up. You cannot trespass. Now they're breaking the law. I had a client one time that lived in Bozeman, or not Bozeman, he lived in Billings, and uh, I called him one morning and I said, you know, you have an appointment at 10 o'clock. And it was 7. He says, I'll be there. I said, what? From Billings? He goes, oh, yeah. Well, I didn't know he drove 100, 110, 125 miles an hour. You young people, just so you know, there was not a speed limit in Montana. Was he speeding? No. No. Until they put up a sign, and that sign says the speed limit. Now, the law defined the speeding. Does that make sense to you? When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mountain, uh, and, it was, and he was telling what God looks like, that he was saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, and he went all the way down and defined the things and said, you know, you, you brag that you haven't uh, had committed adultery. I say if you even looked at a woman and lost, you committed adultery. And he, and he goes on down, and he just nails every one of them as they go through. You say you've never murdered. Well, have you ever called your brother a fool? You've murdered so we keep going down. Dan just called Tom a fool. So Dan's guilty of murder. This is what he did all the way through so that he would get all the way to the end. And if there were still some arrogant blind people thinking they hadn't violated, he said, and those of you still standing, you have to be absolutely perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. How you doing? And the purpose of this law was to, to, to shut all men up. Galatians says to shut all men up under sin so that every man, every woman would realize, I am guilty. And the Bible says if you violate one part of the law, you violate the entire thing. It, the wages of this sin is death. So as you look at this, my, it's not to condemn you. Matter of fact, this is a real freeing message. But before we get to that, we need to understand where we were to see where we've come, is that no person in here was innocent. 
we were dead in our transgressions. There's just junk all the time. And a lot of you, don't, I don't have to convince you, you already beat yourself up for all the crap you do in your life or you've done in your life. And what we want to do is say, okay, then what are we supposed to do? And so if we look back in Isaiah, and this is a, the prophet Isaiah, and he's going to prophesy about what needs to happen. And he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ that's going to come. And he says, surely our griefs he himself bore. And uh, our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastening for our well-being fell upon him, for he was scourged, and by his scourging we were healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on him. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he didn't even open his mouth. For our transgressions, my people to whom the stroke was due on him. But the Lord was pleased. That word means he was, God chose with a strong affection because he liked us very, very much. Hard for you to believe? He chose to crush his son, to put him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering on our behalf. And he will see his offspring and he will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in the land. For my righteous one, my servant will justify the many and he will bear the iniquities. Therefore I will allow him a portion with the great and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death, was numbered for our transgressions and he himself bore our sins of the many that we have and interceded for our transgressions. You've got words transgressions, you've got words iniquities, you've got words sin, and I've told you this before, uh, just to make it real clear, that basically includes everything that you do that's independent of God. Your transgressions that you have are those uh, things that are just, uh, they're, they're, rebellious, they're kind of like, I am not going to do it. When, when Finn got his third spanking yesterday, it was because when dad said, I want you to go to shut the door, and he looked at him and just walked right on by him. And, uh, and so I, I knew what was going on. I knew he was going to take him into the other room, and sure enough, he did, and I hear the crying. Of course, grandpas don't like that. But I knew what he was doing. He comes out, and he asks him to do something again. He just walks on by again, so there's the second time. Those are transgressions. Those are, I will do it my way. Iniquities are those things that you have kind of built in your DNA. They're the things that you got from your parents that you don't like very well. And, uh, and, and you usually are annoyed by the things in the parents, and mostly you're annoyed because you've got them in you too. And those are the things that are kind of passed on down to a generation. David said that, that my iniquities, I was born in these iniquities. They're, they're twists. They're called, the word literally means to be twisted in genealogy with these things. Those things God died for. Sins are just the things that you and I do independent of God. See, they're attacking me up here. And, so, and uh, 
And so those are the things that are all done. Now I want you to see something that's very, very important, and we're going to talk about two main things here today. We're going to talk about what was done with yours and my transgressions and sins and iniquities, and what are we supposed to do when we find ourselves failing and sinning in this life. Those are two important issues. Way back in the biblical days in uh, second, uh, second, no wait, in Colossians 2, 13, 14, it says that, and when you were dead in the transgressions, okay, that's your dead in your transgressions, and in the darkness and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us our transgressions, nailing, having canceled out the certificate of the debt that were consisting of all of these decrees against us, which were hostile to us. He took them out of the way, having nailed them to the cross. Now, let me take that down and paraphrase it so you understand it in today's language. If, if I'm looking at uh, D, I'm looking at your life, and let's say that D is the one that we're going to go ahead and look at right now, then what happens is in that day, when this was a real standard thing that happened, if D was in, in just dire need of helping her kids survive because food was hard to come by, and, and so she basically went and she stole some food, and she stole some bread, and, and then maybe that led to something else, so she lied about the stealing the bread, and that led to something else, and so all of these different things were decrees that, that were hostile to her, and she got caught. What they would do is they would catch her, they would handcuff her, tie, tie her, and they would take her and they would bring her to a, a place where the prison was and they'd walk her down these rock stairs and they'd put her in a prison and shut the door and then they would nail on that door a certificate of debt. And on that certificate of debt, it would list what she did wrong and then the amount of days that she had to pay in order for that debt to be paid. So stealing the bread might have been six months, so it would be stealing bread six months. And, I, and then they'd list them all. And then what would happen is the, the, the jailer that would walk by and put the water and bread underneath for food would come by and mark off the days, continue to do that until whoever it was had, had listed there, that was all paid. And then when they got done with that, they would write over the top of that certificate of debt, Tethelestai, paid in full. And that person could come out of the prison, take the certificate, and could hold on the certificate and never have that held against them ever again. Now, when Christ went to the cross and he took that upon himself, which is your iniquities and my iniquities, and he suffered for every single thing that you did and every single thing that I did, I want you to understand something. That was 2,000 years ago when we saw it lived out. So when he died, when it says in Isaiah, when he looked to those that would become his offspring, that meant he looked way ahead and he saw you and me way back then. So how many of your sins were future to him 2,000 years ago? All of them. That's why it says that he canceled out all of your sins. Now I've been taught and maybe you've been taught that that meant that he forgave us our sins up to the day that you responded to Christ to come into your life. That would not be accurate theologically. That would mean that he forgave us some of our sins and all of them were future. Matter of fact, it even says 
that before you breathed your first breath on this planet, before the foundation of this world, the lamb was slain. The Son of God was slain. You see, you and I don't understand that because we wear these little watches and they tick. They tick and make us nervous about things and time. God doesn't have that. Before the beginning to the end, there is no time with God. One day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain and if the lamb died, every single one of your sins, transgressions, and iniquities was forgiven. Everyone. And it says he nailed it to the cross. Now remember this. While he was hanging on the cross, his foes with anger driving nails through his body, he says a few important sentences. Here's one. The pain, the terror that was going on. He goes, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Now, you see, he didn't wait for them to ask for forgiveness. He didn't wait for them to repent. He didn't wait for them to acknowledge what they were doing. He said, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Does that strike any of you a little odd? We've been told that you forgive somebody if they'll admit it. God didn't do that with you, and he didn't do it with me. You see, forgiveness isn't about your character whether you're going to you know, confess and do all this stuff. Forgiveness about, is about God's character. We are going to try by the end of today, turn forgiveness around to make you absolutely awesome struck with this incredible God and get your eyes off of your junky sin. This is a story about God and his redeeming. And when he was on the cross and he hung there, a God-forsaken man... He says, forgive them for they know what they do. And then he says this interesting phrase. Testelestai. Paid in full. It is finished. Did you know that means it is finished for you for the rest of your life? You can't do something that wasn't paid for that day on the cross. There is nothing that can be held against you again. Think of this, you guys. Just tell us, Ty. Did Jesus get what he went after on the cross? Then it's paid in full. And that's why it says, do not let your conscience be seared with dead works. Dead works is literally, in the context of that scripture, it is anything that you and I think we should do to add on to this forgiveness. Like maybe grow up around like, oh, poor me, I'm just a scumball. You know, it's like this. And that is dead works. Blaming other people for your sin is dead works. Trying to pay penance for your sin. Yeah, I grew up in a church that we, we were supposed to go every Monday night and we'd kneel down and we'd, we'd have this little saying and, it, and, uh, and then they would give me penance. And I was quick at the penance. I could say them really fast because I felt that I would then be released and then I could sin for that rest of that week and then I'd come back the next Monday. That was dead works. Anything you add or I add on to the finished work of the cross is called dead works. And the scripture says this, 
Cleanse, wash, remove your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Remove it from you. Listen to these verses. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of all of our sins. And already you were formerly alienated and hostile in your mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his flesh bodily through the death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And just as he chose you before the foundation of this world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us as adoption as his sons and his daughters through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace alone, which he freely bestowed on us in his beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon me. Folks, it is done on his part. He doesn't need to be reconciled to you. This is information is for you to be reconciled to him. You see, we people, when we, we do something wrong, there's a tendency for us to have that other person be viewing us horrible, so we alienate. I had a friend that I spent, geez, every day for many, many years with. We were very good friends. I moved back to Rapid City and uh, encouraged this guy to come out here, and he came out here, and he took a job here. And in taking the job, uh, it was a little hard for him, so my wife and I felt it was within our means to buy him a vehicle, a car. And we bought him a car, and we said, now listen, I know it's hard, so just make payments when it's possible to make payments, and this will start with a really low payment. And uh, he made the first payment, <clears throat> didn't make the second payment, <clears throat> and he left town with the car. I've called. I've tried to get a hold of him, not to collect money and not to collect the car for the relationship. 17 years, I've not heard from the person. Because he's alienated, he thinks I'm mad at him and I'm hating him and he's thinking poor of himself. And this is what we do with God. We swear to God we won't sin, we won't sin, I won't do it again, God, you know I won't do it again, and then we do it, and then we hide. We run and hide. And that's the tendency if you don't understand his view of you now. It is finished. I have removed your iniquities, Bill, as far as the east is from the west, and I will never remember them again. Those are in, that's in the word of God numerous times. He's not going to get you. I, I remember I was told to try to keep me in line with guilt. Now, just remember this. Everything you do is going to be shown on a great big movie screen, and everybody's going to see it. Now, it's a guilt motivator. How'd it work? Horrible. I didn't want to serve this God. But if every single thing is done and forgiven, never to be brought up again, this God is in love with you. And he says, now when I see you, I see you holy and blameless in my sight. Okay. Then what do we do when we sin? What do we do when we fail? What are we supposed to do now? And I'm going to suggest four things. You have some, a note uh, pad there or a paper there with four little numbers on it. And if you don't have a paper and pencil, just remember it in your head. It should be fairly easy. 
God says in, in Corinthians, he said that he has created into us, he's placed his spirit in us, and his spirit in us reveals when there is a sin. He does a good job. You don't have to guess when you sin. He does a really good job. Now, the religious teachers will try to convict you of your stuff because they want to try to put that on you, especially when it comes to giving. <laughs> Are you tithing? And they'll go ahead and try to put it on you. And if you're not tithing, and then, then they try to get, there's usually something to gain, it says in Galatians for it. I just want you to realize the Holy Spirit does a good job when he shows you their sin. And it says, when God does it, it should produce a godly sorrow. Now, listen to what that means. If, if I go ahead and I'm gossiping and, uh, and I say something against somebody, and let's say, Dave, I, I take you and I'm going to go ahead and I say something to Jan about you, Jane about you, and I gossip about you, the Holy Spirit will convict me and he'll create a godly sorrow when I walk away saying, why did you have those words come out of a brother? And it should lead me to a godly sorrow that says, wow, that hurts that I would offend his name. And that says, and it will lead me to repentance. And we're going to see what that means as it relates to forgiveness. Now, that's true guilt. So number one, it says it should lead to a godly sorrow. Two says that you will confess your sins and God will be faithful to forgive you. That word has been so misunderstood, it doesn't mean that we confess like confession. The word literally just means agree with God that he paid the debt for that behavior 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross. It means to agree with him, it's been done. That's what the word means. So I would agree and say, God, I agree with you that you died for that 2,000 years ago and you, in your own love and mercy, chose to take that away and never let it be a part of my life again so you basically took it away from me and I agree with you that that's what happened. The agreeing is what God did for that offense. The, I'm not going to confess so the focus is on my sin. That was done with. And then I will turn away from false guilt because right now Satan will start throwing false guilt at you. False guilt, it says the world and got sorrow leads to uh, a kind of a false guilt. It leads to condemnation. And it'll say things like, you lousy, th and you're going to go ahead and talk tomorrow night. You're going to talk tomorrow night, and after you've done this type of a thing, I can't believe it, trying to make me think about my behavior and my sin rather than about the glory of God. By the way, I only get to talk here not because of who I am or what I do, but because of who God is. It's his character, so I basically allow him to live through me. So I'm not going to do a dead work. And let me tell you out here what dead work can look like so some of you can identify it. Self-loathing, focusing on yourself of how bad you are and how horrible you are and getting this downright uh, little hoof kind of gloathing deal like Eeyore. Oh, I'm so bad. You know, just that is dead works. And it basically says it nullifies the grace of God. Penance thinking you have to pay for it. So I'm going to do something more. I'm going, to, I'm going to be good and do all these types of good things. I'm going to pay for my wrong. That is dead works. You can't pay for your wrong. It is telestai. It was paid in full. Groveling. Blaming others for your wrong. That's huge. We try to blame others so that we don't have to look at it. 
Or we alienate and we isolate from God. We just pull away. The fourth thing that I want you to be aware of here is the Bible says, I will boast in nothing except for the cross of Jesus Christ. And then it tells you another thing to boast in, two things to boast in. And I know this is going to be hard for you to wrap your mind around. Boast in the cross of what Jesus Christ did for your sin, and that will bring you to the to the view of God as what an incredible, loving, forgiving, compassionate, kind God you have. Never understand it. I never will understand it. And the other thing he says, I want you to learn to boast in your failure. Isn't that interesting? Boast in it. What does that mean? Now, am I to focus back on my sin again? No. It says, I want you to boast in this in my weakness, so the work already done on the cross will allow the power of Christ to dwell in me. That means that if I was to do this right after speaking ill of Dave, I might have to go to Jane and say, Jane, I'm sorry, I should have never said that. I should have thrown a cover of silence around that, and I was wrong in that. But after I go ahead and realize, thank you, I agree with God that you paid that penalty, and it was paid it in full, and that you see me holy and blameless, God, thank you, thank you, for that failure that reminds me once again that you alone can live this Christian life through me. And I welcome you to live in. And, I, and I, I'm glad that even that failure I can boast in because it's a constant reminder of the beauty of our dependency upon one another. Does that make sense? Rather than, oh my goodness, I'm going to beat myself up. We are going to all fail. You are going to all fail. And if you will let this happen where you can boast in that and say, God, thank you. Once again, Bill Ewing acting in his own thing, thinks he's a hot shot, will fail. I'll even gossip against a friend of mine. Thank you that that's a reminder that I can't live the Christian life, that only you can live it. And I open my door and my heart to you to live through again, and he will do that through you. That's the fulfillment. That's what asking for forgiveness means. So as we do a reminder of this, Steve's going to come up. We're going to do communion. And I think God told us to remind ourselves of this truth of what we just talked about today. Every time you eat and every time you drink, be reminded of it.